The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Unlock the power of your dreams. Welcome to Ask Dr. Dream with Kelly Sullivan Walden. Welcome to the Ask Dr. Dream show where you uncover the truth of your dreams and reveal the beauty of who you are. I'm your host, Dr. Dream, Kelly Sullivan Walden. So grateful to be here with you on Unity Online Radio. The number to call today if you have a question about dreams or even as we're in the recap of The Girl with the Blue Ukulele, the number to call is 816 251 3555 again 8162513555 so before we dive in i just want to make a couple of quick announcements i just found out that my luminous humanness book is available on kindle as an ebook so yay if you want to carry the book around with you it's now available and also there's um I was on Beyond Belief with George Nori recently, and they just posted our episode to Gaia. So you can do a, a search for Oracle Cards and Dreaming, and it will come up. And that was kind of a wild, wild thing. Um, okay, that's it. So let's do a little dive in. Let's take a breath and turn within for a moment. And as we do, let's just release and let go of any stress, any worry, all the stuff going on in the world. Oh, my God, so much with I don't even want to mention the list of things. (laughs) Oh, man. But let's just dive underneath all of that. Let's go to that treasure chest at the bottom of the ocean floor when we can just drop in. We realize that. There's peace, there's calm right in the center of of all the commotion. So we just let it all go as much as possible and we open wide to the sunlight of the spirit. We open up to the blessings that are here for us in this moment at this time. We don't want to miss a single one. We open ourselves up to receive our insights regarding our own dreams or the dreams that we hear about today. And even as we unravel and come to peace with all that just happened and that we found out about with the girl with the blue galele, let's just find our ourself coming into peace and embracing that part of ourselves and recognizing that it's all in the spirit of awakening and living out this dream that we're sharing together. 
in this unified field. And so with this, I just say thank you so much. Release it and let it go and say thank you. Amen. And pass the dreams. Okay, so here's the quick little luminous humanness thought for the day. Today is September 15th. The message is feel for it, find it, flip it. When you feel stressed, afraid, or disconnected, it's as if the lights have been extinguished. Instead of panicking, breathe deeply in and out. As you move your hands along your inner wall in the direction of where you last saw the light switch, by connecting with the energy that allows you to feel even a tiny bit better, you'll eventually find your way to becoming more inwardly luminous. Once you discover even a flicker of your light and revel in how wonderful it feels, it can begin to spark more of your internal joy. Each time you do this, you can remember more vividly where your inner light switch is. And even in the darkest winter, you'll always be able to find it. Affirmation, the more often I flip my inner light switch, the more easily I find it the next time. Okay, so speaking of light switch, I have a wonderful guest for you that I booked while we were knee deep in the search for Satya, the girl with the blue ukulele. And I decided I still wanted to have her on because I thought it would help to shine light on the phenomenon of why people do go missing. And even if they don't physically go missing, maybe even why they go emotionally missing because they don't give themselves the opportunity to take some space for themselves. And even the part of ourselves that goes missing because we don't know where to insert our sensitivity in a world that is so jagged. And I think our guest today will be able to help us with this. So I am very excited to bring Aspen Mattis back to the show. I've had her on many times. She's one of my favorite sheroes on this planet, personal mentors with my writing and just one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever known. So here's a little tiny bio on her. Aspen Mattis is the author of Girl in the Woods and more recently, Your Blue is Not My Blue, a missing person memoir called Fearless, a beautifully written story of inspiration, courage, and ultimate transformation by book list. The book was at number one on Amazon in memoirs. Author Deepak Chopra said the memoir will open your door to empathy, compassion, and healing. Novelist Amy Bender called Your Blue is Not My Blue gorgeous, a gripping read that wrestles honestly and sensitively with the ways we connect with with the ways we miss each other, one another. Mattis's short-form writing has been published in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Tin House, Psychology Today, Salon, Bloomberg, and Marie Claire. Her first book, critically acclaimed memoir, Girl in the Woods, was published by HarperCollins in 2015, called A Powerful Read by O, the Oprah magazine. The book made The Guardian's annual top 50 list. The New York Times named Mattis a hero, and I call her my personal hero, and I think you're going to shine a lot of light. Thanks for coming and joining us today, Aspen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on, Kelly. I always love talking to you. 
Mm, so mutual. So I've given you the kind of the update overview of our search for Satya, the girl with the blue ukulele. And um, I really, I think I just wanted to dive in with how how you relate to her and and maybe in some ways that distinguishes you from her. Um, so maybe you could take us to the point in time when you decided to leave the world and go into nature um, and seek solace in nature. So give us a little bit of what was happening with you at that time. Yeah, so um, I guess the very, very short version is um, following a date rape that occurred um, in my freshman year of college, I dropped out and I left school and I decided I was going to try to physically, literally reclaim my body by walking from Mexico all the way to Canada through California and Oregon and Washington State following a continuous wilderness footpath called the Pacific Crest Trail. And yeah, and so I did. And so I walked through the Sonoran Desert and the Anza Brego Desert and the Mojave Desert and then the High Sierra Mountain Range and then, yeah, then the volcano lands of Northern California up to the Cascades of Oregon and then the Northern Cascades into Washington State and Canada. Um, and it was a transformative and um, intense experience, and um, and it took about just under six months, about five and a half months. And during that time, in order to keep your pace to make it to your destination before it became way too snowy and, and impossible, you had to walk basically a marathon a day for six months, which Yeah, blows- so my average day... Right, right. My average day was about a marathon, about 26 miles. And my um, my biggest day on, on the trail was 40 miles, which was toward the very end in Washington State. Um, and, yeah, so I was really pushing my body. Wow. And I, in the beginning of Girl in the Woods, there's a... Um there's a scene where you're in the Mojave desert and you're just at first there's like rattlesnakes and you're like, ah, and then pretty soon you're just like, whatever. They're just like sticks in the road. (laughs) You're just like, (laughs) okay, whatever. Just, just don't step on them. And I think about you when I'm on the trail by my house, every once in a while, I'll see one little scared snake slither off. And it's like, Hey, that's no big deal. Aspen was dealing with so many rattlesnakes and you were, and here you are. So I think about you almost every time I'm out on the trail, by the way. So, so you're, you, you come from a family that loves you deeply and dearly, like, like Tess, um, Satya. Now we call her Elsa. Um, and yet it felt like you were, you were compelled to go into the wild. And so what was it that would have, because some people would just say, why would somebody do that? That's just so dangerous. Why wouldn't you go in with a big group of people? And why wouldn't it be just for a couple days? Isn't that enough? What was it that, so that we can understand kind of the mindset of, of Tess, um, what was it that had you want to be so badly in nature? Well, first I just want to say that I might not necessarily be an access to Tess's mindset. You know, like I... Right. 
I'm not her. Of <laughs> so course, just of course. To preface everything with that, but um, yeah, and I guess my ego wants to be like I'm nothing like her. <laughs> so okay, okay well, but, tell me about that. Let's go there. Like, what's the part? Because sure. I mean, I see the parts that seem s- similar is that she loved nature deeply. Like she was like, ah, that's, that's where she felt peaceful. And she was a very prolific writer, very sensitive, like high, like a HSP, highly sensitive person, um, right. intuitive. So those are some of the things that, that make me kind of say, oh, it's a similar archetype. It's kind of the, the Artemis archetype that, that is like the, mm, the girl yeah. lives in the woods and that can find her way that way. But of course, I mean, you let people know where you were, even though you wanted your space from them, you didn't, it didn't occur to you to just cut off from them. No, I wasn't. I mean, I think that would have for me felt like kind of cruel, you know, like I loved my parents and it was, it was kind of like, I don't want to say like bad enough that I put them through, Mm. um, you know, my, you know, I knew what I needed to do and they were very understanding and supportive and compassionate um, and, you know, most parents would have been like, no, you're not doing that. But my parents were like, what can we do to help? You know? Right. So I was not, I was not out of communication with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that, that is a very big distinction. And okay. And so also I would have assumed that you in watching the movie into the wild, you would have also loved that movie, but you had a very different reaction to that. So Talk about that. What's your reaction to that movie? Yeah, I, I actually have like a visceral negative reaction to that movie. And it's funny because I I mean, first, will you tell me what Tessa's reaction was to the movie? And then I'll... I'll, I'll oh, yeah. It was her favorite movie. She watched yeah. it like a hundred times. Was very inspired by it. Which so is why on some level, there yeah, was the assumption yeah. that because her car was left with stuff that she could have easily just walked away because that was what that, that guy did in the movie. He just left his car, walked away. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and yeah, so I think likely, and I know very little about, about her, but likely she kind of romanticized um, his almost immaturity in my opinion and like selfishness and like, um, yeah, Mm -hmm. possibly, I don't know. But like, yeah, to me, like I probably dislike that movie for the same reason that you, we've talked about this a lot. Like you dislike the narrative that artists must be struggling and starving and tumultuous and like in suffering. You know, like that's one archetype that's kind of like, um, in some ways, like an old archetype and a classic archetype and like a romanticized and often romanticized archetype, but it's not the way it has to be. And um, I, I'm an artist, you're an artist, and I am not, you know, um, you know, bipolar and I haven't sabotaged all my relationships and I'm not um, broke and hungry, you know, like I, it doesn't have to be that way. And I'm not like, you know, volatile and moody and lashing out at the people who love me most. And, you know, just because Hemingway, you know, did it and Faulkner did it. 
It doesn't mean I have to do it that way. <laughs> this is so good. It's like you don't have to suffer for your art. You don't have to literally go into the wild in order to forge your own path. It's interesting. I don't know right. that I that I told you about this, and I didn't really talk about this on the show, but I really wanted to have this woman on who in the end refused to come on. Um, she was somebody who had written very beautifully, poetically gorgeous pieces about the new nomads, about wanderers that are not homeless, they're home free. They're people that that just mm. like to move around and they're of service to the world because they're unburdened by the things that most people are burdened by, mortgages and 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 PTA and all this stuff. They're able to be of service in beautiful ways. And she makes a case for lightening your load. And there's a lot of people that are living in tiny mm -hmm. houses these days. And there's, there is a phenomenon of like letting go of that. the of mm -hmm. earthly baggage, but she, you know, to an extreme where she was just, she's kind of a spokesperson for the new nomads. And she had written an article that Tess emailed to her mom saying, read this this is me. Like this is this will help you understand me. And it was so beautifully written. I thought, wow, if I had read it back then, I might also be a new nomad. I might have followed it because it was written so well. Ooh, I reached out to the artist. I reached out to the person who wrote the piece, and the piece was written nine years ago. And she said, I don't advocate this lifestyle. It sucks. I'm I, I just got in a car accident the other day and I have no place to recuperate. I don't have anyone, I don't have a place to go when I just feel like I need to rest. She said, it sucks. Oh, I wow. absolutely revoke everything I said. Oh, and if I inspired that girl to take off, then I don't want to be held to account for that. So, I, so, wow. so she refused to come on the show. But I thought it was an interesting and point of view. Nine years later, not so glamorous. And yes, there's glamorous, glorified aspects, but... Anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's like a balance that's healthy, like an ideal balance for many people. Like, I do believe in like the whole like, you know, the fight club line, like the things you own start to own you. And like materialism is consumptive, like it, it consumes us. And like, and it's almost like this prison of our own making, the pursuit of money and like the, the sense, the feeling that you have to buy your time as if it were not truly yours and how people, you know, spend their lives doing things that they're not in truth passionate about for money and just the reality of how, like, as Annie Dillard says, for how we spend our days is, after all, how we spend our life mm -hmm. um, and how people just kind of, how it's so easy to get hypnotized into forgetting that just because um, it's sort of like inertia. And like, and the, like the line we talked about earlier, Kelly, um, it yes. is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. So all of that, like I, I believe to an extent, and yet I think it, it has to coexist with what do I want my material life to feel and look like? And like, I do believe also that like the quality of my life, at least I won't speak for other people, but like the quality of my life is given by the quality of the connections that I have with people, mm. undeniably. The connections, the love and affinity and connection I feel with people. And so community is so important to me. So if forsaking the material world um, means for, forsaking 
the people who love you most, who you love most, then it's it's not, um, you're not doing it in a healthy and um, nourishing way. You're doing it in a in an isolating and unsustainable and effectively unnatural way because humans are social beings. Um, and it might feel like somehow liberating to cut ties and it might feel easier than dealing with the complexities of relationships because relationships are super complicated and hard sometimes, but you're ultimately robbing yourself um, if your solution is just good riddance. Right. So there's a balance, you know, an ideal balance. So I'm all for minimalism in, in terms of like possessions and like, you know, having like, you know, three dresses and, and three pairs of jeans you like, one pair of running shoes and one pair of high heel boots. Like, that's my style. <laughs> like, I'm all for that. Like, less is more. I love that. But like, but in terms of like groundedness and connection and, and being in communication with the people you care about, who care about you, like, less is not more. Right. Right. Well, I think this is a really important and refreshing perspective because I think, um, you know, we don't have the forensic evidence to definitively prove that Tess is on the other side, but psychically, energetically, it sure seems like that. And I think I want to say to her credit, there was, she was in touch with at least, um, at least her dad, he said that she was in touch with her every week. So I think she didn't completely cut ties. But, um, you know, there's, I think she was in the pursuit of trying to find her way. And I, I admire that. I think I admire it more than somebody just complaining about their life. If they don't like where they're at, they don't like who they're around, then do something radical, do something crazy, go out. And yet what I love that you're, that you're bringing in is find some relative toehold of balance. There's, it seems to be a phenomena of people, like a phenomenon after people watch that movie, there's a number of, of inspired young people that followed in the path of the guy from into the wild and met the same tragic fate. There's newspaper articles mm-hmm. about this. So I think to be responsible, I wanted to make sure to bring in, you know, maybe let's talk about what was good about her pursuit and also the dangers of it. If anybody's listening and they're feeling overly inspired, because sometimes we glorify people when they're on the other side, but let me, let's, but to be balanced, what is it that you get from those those deep dives into nature where you do maybe let people know I'll be off grid for a month or a week or however long or a year. But when you do get to just immerse yourself in a natural environment without all the stuff, what does that do for you? Wow. It does so many things for me. Um, so I, I feel like the... The, like the obvious blessing is commune with something larger than yourself that's inspiring to you. Like for me, just like mountains and like their their scale and their scope and the night sky in a, in a place with no light pollution where you can really see the shining like 
bent belt of the Milky Way and like just our tiny, tiny little speck of a spot of a dust mite of like minutia in it and like and you kind of feel beautifully dwarfed and like almost liberated by that um by your smallness. Um so that's like inspiring to me and grounding to me. Um and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> But, yeah, also just on a more um, social level, it gives you, like, solitude, I think, is is an access to so many things. And, and one of those things it's an access to is intuition, your own intuition. You get to hear your voice without – it's like you get to hear the signal without all the noise. You get to hear – that still small voice magnified because it's not drowned out by the chatter of all of our culture, like our society saying, you should do this, you should want this, here's an advertisement, you deserve this, this is, you know, this is a value, that is a value. You get to like, you don't hear any of that and you get to feel for yourself what is a value to me really when I'm not being told what matters, what actually matters, and, like, what actually feels um, grounding, what actually feels uplifting, and what actually excites me about my future, and what, what actually, what do I want? It allows you kind of to both zoom in and zoom out. Like, zooming out, what do I want my life to be? What is my life for? What do I want my life to look like? What is the map there? Like, and you can intuit it without hearing the voice of your mom in your ear saying, you know, you should do this, you should do that, or the voice of, you know, which is totally coming from a place of love, but like what, you know, your mom or whoever, your husband, your wife, your child might think is right for you might not actually be what's right for you. It might be what either is right for them, so they're projecting that onto you, or it might be what they think um, because they've been kind of conditioned by all the messaging of advertisements and our social cultural value systems. It's what they think is a value and important and right um, for you. So it allows you to kind of actually hear yourself think and hear and feel yourself in a more subtle and tuned in an intense and beautiful way. So we're about to go to a break. I just want people to check out Aspen's info online. You can go to Aspen Mattis. It's, it's AspenMattis.com, right? Or is it .net? <laughs> it's actually Aspen-Mattis.com. I don't know why I picked that. AspenMattis.com is also available, but I decided to be um, silly. Aspen, Aspen-Mattis.com and we'll be right back on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Dream interpretation and a lot more. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Dream with Kelly Sullivan Walden. 
Welcome back to the Ask Dr. Dream show. And I am your host, Dr. Dream, Kelly Sullivan Walden. This is where you uncover the truth of your dreams and reveal the beauty of who you are. And if you have a dream or a question, the number to call is 816-251-3555. I'm so grateful and just always ah, filled with insights talking with Aspen Mattis, New York Times bestselling author of Girl in the Woods and Amazon.com number one bestselling book of Your Blue is Not My Blue, a missing person memoir. So I just I just thought about this, Aspen. So in some way, um, I mean, you were the girl who went into the woods and you did leave trails behind. I mean, people knew where you were. So I, that's what we discussed in the previous um, the previous segment. But you, your your book, Your Blue is Not My Blue, is the first book is about you being in the woods. Second book is about you being ghosted, you having been left by someone that was very dear to you who felt the need to cut ties. So maybe you can speak to what was that like for you? I mean, your whole book, Your Blue is Not My Blue, is about that. And I highly recommend that people read it. It's such amazing poetry and just so well read, so well told. But in a nutshell, what was it like for you to be on the other end of somebody feeling the need to just go into nature themselves? It was extremely painful. Um, I feel like I got a very potent taste of my own medicine. And that's what the universe does sometimes, you know. Um, you know, like, because I, I mean, I hadn't ghosted my family when I was 19 and I hiked um, the Pacific Crest Trail, but I certainly was, like, out of touch a lot of time, and it was nerve-wracking to them, and they worried about me, and I put them through it, you know. Their 19-year-old daughter um, alone in the wilderness <laughs> for months on end. So, yeah, so... Um, a large part of your your blue is not my blue. My my new book is about um, essentially my husband um, one day went to the funeral of our mutual friend um, who we'd actually met on the Pacific Crest Trail, another hiker, um, and he. Um, this other hiker who we'd met, um, he actually had committed suicide. And um, so my ex-husband, or my then-husband, I should say, went to the funeral, and I decided not to go um, because I was kind of angry, actually, about the suicide. Like, I feel like that's not, especially at the time, like, not a victimless crime. And I was was just not in a place to go. And um, that night, my husband didn't come home, and the next night, he didn't come home. And then a week passed, and so I, I'd reached out to his mother and his father and his older brother, and nobody knew where, where he was, and we were all very worried, obviously, and especially from the fact that he disappeared from the funeral of our friend who had killed himself, you know. And um, a month passed, and after 43 days, we finally... Um, found him, and he was living in a small town in Colorado where he knew no one, and he had essentially just, like, started a new life, you know. He was ice climbing a lot. He was in the mountains, which is where he was happiest, you know, but he had sort of just 
um, not communicated that he was having a breakdown, essentially, and needed needed to be on his own. Um, and so, um, yeah, it was tremendously painful. And I, I mean, I almost want to use the word traumatic, but I, I don't know if that's too strong. No, um, not at all. To have somebody you love that you're married to, that you're in love with, that you started a new life with just go missing. I mean, for every single day and you write about it and you bring us into the story every single day, it's a constant barragement of images and thoughts and what ifs and what did I do? And could I have done this different? And like, it's a, it was like a torture chamber. So to say traumatic, I think that's um, probably exactly right. Long-term yeah. trauma, not just for an instant, but like for all those Similar. days it was gone. Yeah, similar to our friend who killed himself, like, similar to suicide, it's not a victimless crime. Like, you might not be thinking, or he might not have been thinking about the impact it was having on other people. He was thinking about just what he needed to do in order to feel okay. But um, when we, you know, do anything, it affects the people who love us. And when we do something like isolate ourselves, or, or cut off from um, from the world, like it, it the, the ripple effect is enormous. Um, and so it sounds like um, the girl with the bu- the blue ukulele. You know, I'm sure her intention wasn't to hurt her mother or her father or the people who loved her most, but she did that. She really did. Yeah. Yeah. Like so much. I mean, Sharon says there's not a day that goes by that she doesn't cry about her and her brothers as well. At least one of the brothers says he cries every day and it's been nine years. And now hopefully they'll be able to have a a memorial and be able to find some resolution. And to me, I want to say that that last image that we were told is, is who she is now as Elsa pulsating beautiful light I don't want to bypass that I want us to make sure to remember that you know that that's who she is now so we don't have to worry I don't know something about that that's that is helpful what were you about to say Aspen I interrupted you sorry oh no no I was just I was just saying like oh wow when you were saying that her brother cries every day like after nine years like that's just a pain that's a deep well Right. I think it's so good that you let people know. I mean, some people think in the moments of, of before leaving or taking their life that it is they're just consumed with their own pain, that that's the only thing they can think about. It's so important for you to know, for people to know that it isn't victimless. A friend of mine who had deeply, deeply considered taking her life, somebody told her that if you're at that place, your only job is to just keep living because at some point you'll be the miracle for somebody else. That's your purpose in life is to just keep living and to become a miracle. And then there's also all the people that talk about spiritually, metaphysically, wherever you go, there you are. So you really don't get to leave. You, you're, you're always with yourself and then you bring that, that karma, that baggage with you. But I, I have a bunch of other questions I want to ask you, Aspen, but let's go to 
I'm going to let Denise come on, who's been waiting so patiently with a dream. And I always appreciate her dreams as a contribution to this show. So Denise, thank you for holding. What's your dream today? Okay. Hi. You know, I talk fast. I'm going to talk fast today. No different. Okay. (laughs) This is a fast one. Um, I had a dream that I was in a room. I, I I think it was a bedroom. I I think it was a bedroom. And okay. then, anyway, I was I I was going somewhere. I was packing, but I wasn't packing. What I was doing was taking the stuff out of the drawers to pack, pack. But a childhood friend of mine, and we're still friends to this day. Um, um, you know, I was taking the stuff out, and instead of her packing it in the suitcase like she was supposed to, she's admiring it and trying it on, and I'm just steadily taking stuff out, and she's even modeling, oh, I really like this. I didn't really care, but like I said, it just seemed like it was an awful lot of drawers, an awful lot of clothes, and like I said, the more I would pull them out, she would pack some, oh, this is nice, oh, and she would try it on and, and so forth, and the dream ended with pretty much me taking clothes out the drawer, her trying them on, her packing some, and me just like, let me just keep doing this. But the dream did not let me know where I was going. And mm. like I said, there was, you know, a dresser drawer that I was taking clothes out. The clothes seemed to be very colorful. Quite frankly, mm. I didn't see anything white or black. It just seems to be red and blues. And the outfit she tried on was very, flo- not floral, just had a lot of color. But she is a childhood friend of mine um, mm. that I've known since the fifth or fourth grade. Um, we're still friends. We're not as close as we used to be growing up. But that's it. Okay, so what's your feeling about this in the dream and now, outside of the dream? How do you um, feel about this? This particular person loves nice things. Um, what she was doing, she would do. How do I feel? Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of felt that when you put the stuff in a doggone suitcase, for real, and then it was time <laughs> to turn around. And it was times I'd even turn around like, oh, my God, that is mine. Oh, you're wearing that. That looks nice. But, it's, you know, it's kind of like mine. So I was kind of feeling good, like, I picked that out? Mm. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. So it's, two, it's two feelings. It's a feeling like we need mm. to get past, or I need to get past. I don't know if she was going with me or not, but she was the one putting the stuff. I never touched the suitcase. I never had an opportunity. I was too busy pulling stuff out the drawers. So I would say I felt good because she had tried on one particular outfit, and I was like, wow, that is nice. So how did I feel? I felt good. I felt like I got good taste. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to just weigh in really quickly. Um, and Aspen, I don't, I don't know if you want to, but I'm definitely I'd love to have your, your insight too. Um, my first, my feeling about this is, gosh, and it really resonates with me, Um for like what, what was happening with me earlier this morning. It's Denise, you're always psychic in your dreams. They always relate so much personally to my life. I feel like I just love them. Um, That's great. In this dream, if it were mine, it's, it's showing me two very different aspects of myself. It's almost like masculine and feminine. The, the masculine part of me that is kind of like, let's get her done. Let's pack it up. Let's ship it out. Let's like be efficient and timely and no must, no fuss. 
And then there's this more feminine aspect of myself that's like, let's be in the moment. Let's enjoy. Let's luxuriate. Let's appreciate. Look at all the color. Oh my God, look at these things I have. It's mm-hmm. it's a whole different essence. And in some way, and I always try to tie because since even though we've wrapped up the series of the girl with the blue ukulele, I still feel like these dreams are in some way tied in. And I've been talking about what do we do with the sensitive feeling female aspect of ourselves? Is there room for it in our lives? Sometimes I'm really good at making room for my feelings, my sensitivity, ability to smell the flowers and notice the sunset. And other times I'm just bada bing, bada boom, out of my way. I'm on a mission. I got time. I don't have time for this. So ultimately, I feel like this is showing the the polarity. And what I love about it, ultimately, is that there isn't an argument. There's not a fight. It's almost like no. the, 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 the militant aspect is sort of giving, is making room for that that sensitive feeling, yeah. appreciating yeah. aspect. So it feels yeah. like there's a lot of balance ultimately in this dream. You're not just packing it up, shipping it off, moving on to the next thing. Yeah. How does it feel? How does that land? Yes. I like that. I like what you just said a few minutes ago. Um, yeah. I, I pre, yeah. I, 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 you just said it. And I, I'm writing. So I don't know okay. why I'm writing because I can play this back and listen to it. But I'm uh, writing like I'm in school, everything you're saying. Um, <laughs> trying to. Check in with Aspen. So, Aspen, is there anything that's popping up for you if it were your dream? Well, I'm, I'm certainly no expert on these matters, but I love your interpretation about, like, the masculine and the feminine. Yeah. And, like, yeah. it reminded me a little bit of um, that quote, like, I'm going to butcher it because I don't have it memorized, but something like, and forget not that the wind desires to play with your hair and the and the grass longs to play with your feet or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like this mm-hmm. like like being in like the sensuality of like of the beauty that um that you are aware of. Mm-hmm. Yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And that's one of the things, Aspen, I think you actually bring a really good balance Mm -hmm. in life because you Mm -hmm. definitely know how Mm -hmm. to get her done. Like you get stuff done, you meet your deadlines, (laughs) you're working on a new book, you're like, you, you're, you're efficient. And yet Mm -hmm. your observation of things, it's very much like the Mm -hmm. friend in Denise's dream. Like you are an observer of those nuanced Mm -hmm details within the details within the details like the the Russian doll of details that's like oh that's the stuff Mm -hmm. of life let us not not forget those things like what a life that would be if we missed out on those things and yet if Mm -hmm. we go so far in that direction then we we don't get stuff done and we can't be pragmatically here in life I hear you talking back there Denise what what are you feeling I'm just amen and what you're saying right now is just profound and, and and your your observation of her is is I mean I've I've listened to the show and heard her speak several times and she she appears to be number one quite creative she yeah. seems to be a very creative young lady and just yeah just full of full of uh, of a different kind of life just I don't know she 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 has an energy that like you said pulls you in and she appears to be just very very creative whoever you yeah. know. 
That's you asking. We're talking about you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's, it's really good. This is why Aspen is my role model. She's my, I mean, mm-hmm. she really does have that mm-hmm. balance and mm-hmm. it's, it's, so there's this expansive perspective and, yeah. and it's like, yeah. So to me, the, the whole reason, um, one of the reasons I wanted to do the whole series about the girl with the blue ukulele, it was about how do we make room for that, that highly sensitive aspect yeah. of ourselves. So Aspen, can you say something about that? Denise, I'm going to keep you on, I'm going to put you on hold, but I'm going to keep you on the show so you can keep listening. Um, and hopefully oh, yeah. this will shine some light on what the next step is in your dream because the dream isn't over just because mm. you wake up. So Aspen, yeah. just about the, the HSP, highly sensitive person and how, how to make room in your life for that. I think maybe there's a HSP in, to some degree in all of us, although to you know greater or lesser degrees. How do we make room for that without it overcoming us so that we stay functional, but yet give as much space to it as possible? How do you do that? Well, so this is just such a new realm for me that I've been exploring like a year ago, um, or a little more than a year ago, I'd never heard the term HFP or highly sensitive person um, and or highly sensitive empath, as it's often called as well. Um, mm. But I think the reality is, um, I, I, you know, and I'm also, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not an expert by any means about um, this uh, phenomenon. But just for people who aren't familiar with it, what it is is it's actually... It's not just like a woo-woo, like, you know, theoretical thing. It's actually a neurological thing um, where some people um, have more neural connections in in the gray matter of their brain. And they're more, so these people are more sensitive to loud noises. They're more sensitive to textures. They're more sensitive to light. They're more sensitive to the moods of the people around them. Um, they're more, they're more perceptive, they're more observant in terms of like, that color is slightly different than this shade of red, it's slightly different than that shade of red, you know. That and blue so is not my blue. A hyper, right, right. <laughs> you notice that that blue is not this blue. Uh-huh. Um, and though your blue is, of course, always your blue. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> you are always you, to the extent that there is a you. So that's another, another matter. Um, but so, yeah, so it's a, they say approximately 10% of the population. Um, it's not everyone. Um, I don't want to like, you know, be like, Kelly, you're wrong, but like to say everyone is an HSP, I think everyone is sometimes more tuned into, um, observation and like more present than they are at other times. But, um, in terms of like the actual psychological classification, it's like about 10% of people um, um, like kind of qualify as highly sensitive people. And mm-hmm. these people often, and unsurprisingly, often have a really hard time um, assimilating to our society because they're hyper aware of, or they really feel the tragedy and the injustice and the suffering of other people and they have a really hard time 
being okay with the reality that, like, you know, genocides are currently occurring and we're currently mm. actively destroying our own habitat and, you know, changing our climate in an unsustainable way. And, like, all these things that, like, you know, it's easy for many people to kind of just um, tune out these realities. Highly sensitive people are more tuned in to, to them for better or for worse. So a lot of highly sensitive people are very maladjusted for that reason. But also often um, if, you, if you can manage to, um, to find ways to be better adjusted as a highly sensitive person, you can contribute tremendously to the sensitivity and clarity and awakening of the broader population. So a lot of artists are highly sensitive people and, and they, the gift that they give um, society at large is a greater awareness of, um, of what truly matters and what's truly there. Ooh, wow, that was, that was absolutely gorgeous. Um, are there any tips that you have for people? If somebody's listening right now and they, they're relating as an HSP, highly sensitive person or highly sensitive empath, and they're having a really rough moment being in their skin, being where they're at, what do you recommend? Is nature a solution? Getting like, go hug a tree? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I I think it's very personal. Like, they say that the thing, you know, again, like, I'm I'm so not qualified to like to answer oh, I, this, and yet I will. <laughs> um, I, I, I am. I'm definitely a highly sensitive empath, and um, I know it works for me personally. But like, what they say is you need to come up with strategies um, for regulating your nervous system. And that can look very different for, for different people, obviously, um, because um, different people have different needs. But, like, I can tell you what I do and what works for me. Um, sure. And I think for most, um, for most highly sensitive empaths, you need a lot of time alone. So... Just like how introverts recharge when they're alone and extroverts recharge and are energized um, by being in social situations and they feed off of the energy of others, um, highly sensitive people who, you know, highly sensitive people tend to be introverts. There, I think there are exceptions to that, but like highly sensitive people tend um, to, to recharge and kind of realign um, and ground in their own space when they're not um, kind of like navigating the energies of other people. And so building into your schedule time and space, it's like sacred, time and space that is yours. Mm. So um, for me, like I, I take a big walk every single day on my own and sometimes I don't listen to music. Sometimes I don't even bring my phone. I'm not like, you know, doing work. I'm not sending emails. I'm not making phone calls. Sometimes I'll bring my phone just so I can take down notes in the notes function of my phone that relate to my writing project. 
Right. They come to me with no pressure, you know, not like I'm not, it's not like a working walk as much as like I want the, you know, the ability to capture something if it comes. But um, so I take a big walk every day and sometimes that walk, I'm not exaggerating. Sometimes that walk is 16 miles. Wow. Yeah. And I walk fast, but like, it's like, sometimes that's what I need. Sometimes I need to walk for a few hours. Um, Wow. And for me, sunlight is super grounding and uplifting. So getting outside in the light um, really regulates my nervous system and calms me and inspires me and, like, uplifts me all at the same time. I think that's pretty common. So not neglecting that, like, knowing that but also acting on it. Um, And so another ritual is every single night um, before I go to bed, I wind down for an hour before bed. So I play certain like very calming music. I light incense. I have two tennis balls that I put behind my shoulder blades that mm. kind of push the pressure points there. Mm. And I meditate for like an hour um, in this like sweet smelling room with like sandalwood incense and like low light um, before bed and just kind of Ooh. like release release everything, wow. release whatever well, I accumulated that that's day. That's a beautiful formula for all of us. And <laughs> thank you so much. I think it's wonderful to hear this because it's, it's not, um, it's not a recipe for victimhood if we find our way through it. And I so appreciate that you have found your way, Aspen. And I can't believe we're at the edge of this hour already. And thank you, Denise, for sharing your dream with me. And thank you, Aspen, for shining so much light on on the archetype and for and for your journey for being a survivor and a thriver. So everyone get Aspen's books, Girl in the Woods, and your blue is not my blue, aspen-mattis.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I'll see everyone next week. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams. Lying down. Sweet dreams. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.